People are questioning the president's fitness. Uh, I found this uh, uh, downright scary and, and, uh, and disturbing. A man clearly wounded by the rational people who are abandoning him in droves, meaning those business people, and the people in Washington now who are questioning his fitness for office and whether he is stable. Is the president of the United States a racist? And he has no shame <laughs> or, or uh, uh, guilt or regret or remorse. I mean, the man is delusional. Is he suffering from some kind of illness? Only possible defensible explanation for Trump's disgusting, unpresidential, narcissistic behavior would be early onset dementia. <laughs> it's not normal. And you see, people who are normalizing it at this point are becoming complicit. Is he fit for office? I really question, question uh, his uh, ability to, uh, his fitness to be in this office. Does he have the stability to be president? Does he have the competence to be president? He obviously had intent of going rogue. And if he's unfit, then what? I'm just going to speak from the heart here. What we have witnessed was a total eclipse of the facts. (laughs) (laughs) On stage and lied directly to the American people and left things out that he said in an attempt to rewrite history, especially when it comes to Charlottesville. He's unhinged. (laughs) Dude, welcome to the Propaganda Report. So, if you wanted to pick apart any politician's speeches, you could do that because they're always lying anyway. And what, what are they, what was so unhinged, so crazy, so Alzheimer's, so rogue? Am I, am I missing something? Well, he did talk about how short George Stephanopoulos is, and he measured his height to be about up to his knee when he was talking about it. So I think that might be a little bit – Stephanopoulos, he's a little taller than that. You know, Trump absolutely plays into this stuff. I mean, that's how I see it. So that is – so I don't actually think he's unhinged. I think he's a World Wrestling Federation or whatever it's called now um, all-star, which he is. Hall that's of Fame. What he is. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. So that's what he is. And that's what he's acting like. And that's why he's there. Because that's, that's what, what he was he doing does. in the speech last night. If you saw the the video of the speech, he's pointing to the cameras in the back and go, There's the light going out, the light's going out. Then he turns around to the people behind him and he walks away from the stage. He's like playing his playing to his audience. He's going, come on, almost slapping high fives. I had to read the transcript because I just get so I can't I get aggravated. I do not like politics. (laughs) So funny that I'm in this particular occupation at the moment because I really can barely tolerate politics. Although he is quite entertaining in that way. Like Brionics are interesting, so I should. I was tempted to watch it on. I have to watch it on two times speed because it just takes forever. But in that, so at that moment, I actually highlight that in the in the transcript that I printed out. He what those cameras are going off. It's because he just plugged Fox Hannity, Fox and Friends, a show he used to be a regular on. But right after that, and of course they wouldn't turn the cameras off. They, you know what I mean? The camera sends a feed to the producers in the studio and they pick what 
pictures to go. As for his audience, though, he's getting them riled up. Like every time he would say something oh, about yeah, that, yeah, the yeah. audience is going, "Yes!" Yeah, then like he's turning around, walking around, just yeah, like exactly. before he shaved <laughs> man's head in the wrestling ring. Yeah. But he said something actually a little bit scary, right? This is his speech last night, by the way. Did we say that yet? In Phoenix, he gave. No, it we wasn't said a, nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was a campaign. What thing, year actually. is this? I mean, people come back and listen. It's 2017. 2017, and he's doing a campaign rally for 2020 last night. And oh, that's what August we're talking 22nd about. in Arizona. Uh, but it followed the night before he did a speech on the Afghanistan war. And uh, so if you're listening to this five years from now and we're, you know, that moment sparked World War Three, <laughs> you'll be like, oh, yeah, that that was that famous you can say surging in Afghanistan, but exactly. let me just say one thing he said during that when when he said that the camera the lights are going off the cameras are going off. He said, uh, "He says not only does the media give a platform to hate groups, but the media turns a blind eye to the gang violence on our streets, the failures of our public schools, the destruction of our wealth at the hands of the terrible, terrible trade deals made by politicians that." It should be who his grammar is really bad. That should have should have never been allowed to be politicians. Politicians that politicians who (laughs) should never should have never been allowed to be politicians. Right. He was an outsider. And when he was talking last night, he was embracing that. But but my point is that. This idea of what we were talking what another big theme of the past couple of weeks has been free speech. We need to regulate free speech to save free speech. That's I read that in the National Review and the Huffington Post. So it's coming from right and left. But he's saying politicians who should never have been allowed to be politicians. So they're going to screen us out. Um, They're going to censor the speech and all that. And then they're also. I don't know what they're going to do, but I never heard anyone suggest that some people should be allowed into politics and others should not. This is the first time I've ever even heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction we're headed. Well, Bernays and Saul Alinsky, they talk about that kind of stuff all the time, that only certain people, only the ruling elite or the intelligent few should be allowed to lead. Well, I get the platonic philosopher king angle, but I'm just saying I've never heard it applied as like, in that kind of casual, he in the same speech he said, "We need to stop the filibuster rule. You can't have sixty people required for anything. It should be fifty because we're, we're you know the Republicans are in control, which is just that's a that is an really. I know the filibuster itself was not like in the Constitution, but the concept of having a simple majority is not good, and uh, it's that the minority should have some power is a a fundamental American principle. It's important because mob rule is dangerous and he's been pushing for this for a while. And the Republicans could easily, if not, you know, probably lose some of their majorities or whatever, one of their majorities or both of their majorities. Well, the Senate maybe um, in 2018. So it's short-sighted, you know, or a Democrat plot to change the rules now. I just think he's talking about fundamental constitutional changes here, and that is a little freaky to me. 
Yeah, the question becomes, which they talked a lot about on the news today, and they have been for a while, is are these the rantings of a lunatic when he goes off script while the scripted Trump is the the message that the, the elites are making him push? And does he mean what he says when he is quote-unquote off script? I think this whole narrative about that is ridiculous, but – that's how they're dis- that's how they're lending credibility and taking yeah, credibility I mean, that, away from the state. That's another thing that they would never in a million trillion years ever do to Obama. I mean, he was literally you could see him read one word after the other on the teleprompter. His eyes, his head would pivot. My mother would always say that, like, see how his head pivots it was so obvious. No one ever. They uh, Michelle Obama. It's like, wow, Melania was reading Michelle Obama's script off her teleprompter as if. Michelle was speaking from the heart. You know, they never, they never outed Obama. He, he, you know what I mean? Like they could, they could, they used to do that to Ron Paul too. Like somebody tweeted something dumb and Ron Paul's like, look, I didn't tweet it. You know, I have a staff. And they're like, oh my gosh, you don't tweet your own tweets. (laughs) It's like, no one does. And, you know, they really couldn't go crazy on that because it was so obvious. But I'm just saying, they look at, they uh, scripted and unscripted. Well, that gives them cover, like you talk about. Like it gives Trump cover to say things that are off the wall that might make people say, oh, he doesn't really mean that. He's not really going to take away that constitutional amendment. Yes, yes. Uh, this is You're telling – you're saying it this way that people are liking the so-called unscripted stuff. Yeah, that's – that is his whole thing. I mean that actually is how you keep this dialectic, this two – this tension thing going. Where the Bannon types um, versus the the Goldman types that are in his administration, uh, it keeps it keeps people defending Trump for doing stuff that they don't want him to do. I mean, they're just they, even on Twitter. I like finally it's like okay, we all see this for what it is now, right? Now that he's saying we're gonna prolong or accelerate Afghanistan. I mean, he's just doing the same thing everybody else did. He's it's it's the same. He's not going to give you anything you wanted that anybody else wouldn't have given you. He's not restoring the constitution or the bill of rights. He doesn't even talk about that stuff. You know, um and they're still defending him, still going to the mat for him. Like, oh, that's not his fault, blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't that's not him. Right. It's the cult of personality. If they love the cult of personality, then there's ways to rationalize any of the yes, other behavior exactly. statements. Anything he says that's against what they think, that's somebody else talking. Right. At one point, they were actually chanting, which is great because I do agree with this. They were chanting, CNN sucks, CNN sucks. <laughs> Awesome. Actually, that is actually written in the transcript that I'm reading. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it does suck. So last night when I was watching, you uh, prompted me to go watch CNN, which I would never, ever have even thought of in my life. It was this, it was the outside, the tr- the speech that we're talking about was protests, which were I don't, you know, you never know what the narrative really is, but, you know, what the real goal is, what's the psyop and what's a mistake or whatever. But you were saying to me all day, they're hyping how many protesters are going to be there. And Trump starts his speech by saying, not that many, not that many protesters. 
And then when I turned on CNN at your prompting, it was all just smoke. So I couldn't tell if the protests were big or small. So were they trying to hide the fact, were the cops playing into this by throwing the smoke bombs out there? And I have a different theory, but is that a possibility in your opinion? I thought about that possibility as well, and there's that, and there's also the possibility that the number of protesters that were there threw enough bottles of urine at the police officers. So that's what they're throwing. Provoke it. That's okay. what they were throwing. So in they could actually provoke that without yeah. the cops. Okay. So then yeah. Ginny tweeted to us uh, that they were that one little meme she caught was that in Virginia, in Charlottesville, the police response was totally different from their response in Arizona, and people are kind of horrified by that and are calling for the standardization of police which is something I highlighted as, and also with the elections, that they don't have to federalize the elections or federalize the police, which would would really create constitutional problems. They can just create model codes and standardize police behavior or elections or whatever. Um, and that effectively federalizes them. And it also makes them into like modules that could fit together if ever there is an opportunity, you know, a, a national emergency or whatever, where they do want to just, just, uh, you know, press a button and they all kind of mesh together. And this was the first time I'd heard of that. And I feel confident that this is going to play into that in the long run. This is maybe the only the first time where I think this is going to be the beginning of hearing that meme over and over again, showing protests and police response. And that alone could account for these protests, like the black versus blue thing last year, um, Nazis versus Antifa this year is going to take a different angle at the police, um, federalizing the police thing. Tell me that again about the modules being able to come together. What okay. do you mean by that? Can I just insert something I forgot to say earlier? Yeah. Don Lemon makes me want to punch him in the face every time I see him. But he's, he's an African-American and he's a homosexual. Um, okay. So you, you cannot punch <laughs> I him. I know I'm not supposed to dislike him for that reason, but I'm an equal opportunity uh, hater. I just don't like anyone who uh, is that Douchey. not genuine. Yeah. And that it's not, it's not genuine. What I hate about him is this. Are you people, he had a panel talking about these Trump speech. I have to say, you people are analyzing this as if this is news. And this is America, and it's just not making you physically react to this. You're not simply sickened. You can articulate arguments. So uh, that's just such cloying BS. It's, it, you know what it is? It's bad acting. Yeah, he's pretty bad. And I have low tolerance for bad acting. So there's that. And then I will tell you the federal thing, the police thing. So this is what I'm thinking is that the police, uh, it, that the police will, you can't just say, all right, we're federalizing the police, but they have these things. Like there's a model code for legalizing pot. So it's not, um, there's like a model code for everything. So it's not that, so in your state or in your county or whatever, if you want to do a criminal justice, you know, what is the procedure for convicting somebody of murder? Your your state might use as a template your legislate 
structure might use as a template the model code and then which is written you know maybe by a federal organization or i don't know what but it's it's a model code and then you start with that and and that's why a lot of laws in different states are similar there's a model code for pot which drives me crazy because it's like highly regulates pot which of course and limits like homegrown and everything which is the one way to ruin pot you know to make it full of chemicals and uh you know still to make it a, a corporate cronyistic you know partnership between big corporations and um tax authorities but but if you did that with policing if you did it with policing and you tell them exactly what to do, make very strict protocols, kind of like if you, if people are listening, have kids who have whatever it's called, an IEP or something, like you go in and you tell them what you want for your kids and they write down all the stuff they're going to do and then they do all that stuff. It doesn't actually necessarily get you closer to the outcome, but it follows all the rules. So they can have really strict protocols of every single thing you do when certain things happen and uh, they can get all the police, they can encourage states, municipalities, they'll give them grants to do it, you know, maybe to, to adopt these new standards. They'll send in the feds to train the cops in these new ways. And then you'll still have policing at the state level and the fed and the local levels like is required by the 10th amendment. But if there's a state of emergency and they take like all the constitutional rights away and all that, uh, if they then want to, quote, temporarily federalize the police or join them with the National Guard or whatever, they can, it can be a seamless integration, like your vigilant guard thing in Georgia, that they practice working with outside units, with the feds or other ones, for the day when they're going to amass a a nationwide force to put us down. You know, that's what I think that stuff is for to sit to, because if they, if they wanted to put every, if they wanted to implement a law in this country that nobody would want in the whole country, martial law, an emergency, you know, law for whatever reason, and people started to rebel, if they needed a unified response, it would be a lot easier if all the cops have the same protocols and they're used to working with the feds and used to working with each other and then they could even use that kind of a crisis to implement that uh, without actually having to say, okay, you know, I propose a bill to make all the police report to Donald Trump. Which so they can accomplish it faster. Are you saying that they're using these protests to kind of establish those protocols for? Yeah, they're using anything that has to do with the police, law enforcement, anything that you're hearing that has anything to do with any of that since the black versus blue thing. And, and I'm sure before that, uh, they're using, in my opinion, to make it clear that uh, either local authorities can't handle stuff, but but I think and we're seeing this with the censorship debate with the tech companies that the argument they're using is because of prejudice or, um, you know, regional crazies, you know, like crazy people in Arizona, like Sheriff Arpaio or crazy crackers in the South, like these Nazis, <laughs> the Southern Nazis. They're everywhere. So, ah, which is just funny because yeah, the South is not like full of Nazis. So, um, the so what they're 
what they're doing is saying it's unfair that there are different responses in different places, which really is the kind of left's answer to states' rights. Because I'll say, well, you should have states' rights. Why? We know the right answer. The right answer is redistribute wealth. So why would you, you know, you'll just like hurt poor people. We shouldn't let any states hurt poor people. It's not fair. (laughs) It's like, okay, but I think you're wrong. So it's this idea of fairness. And the same thing with the tech companies. When I read that article from the National Review and the article from Huffington Post, which is in our podcast episode 61, the other day, this guy was getting no Matthew Prince, or I, I forget his name, but he was getting no PR. He, he just had this quote that sparked a discussion that was picked up by both the Huffington Post and the National Review to to lead to the same policy conclusion. And his thing was, I got up and I booted Daily Stormer off the internet because I'm the CEO of a tech company and I'm arbitrary and I someone needs to stop me, <laughs> basically. No one should have this kind of power. And I didn't realize it, but today, I didn't know it was coming, but today in the Wall Street Journal was a whole article by this guy basically saying that, you know, somebody needs to stop me. Um, and what these both sides said, what the National Review said was, oh, this is just so unbelievably timely. The Charlottesville thing, I was just writing about how since we have a Republican Congress, we need them to pass a law regulating how tech companies censor internet speech because they're so left. Those techies are such lefties that all they do is censor right speech. And then the Huffington Post had basically a parallel article that said, yeah, now you like it that they're throwing off the Daily Stormer, but tomorrow they're going to be throwing off Black Lives Matter. So they're going to come for you next. So we need to uh, regulate how tech censors and uh and and in both cases or or certainly in the national review case the argument was fairness the argument was uh techies will not treat the right fairly and we need to step in and make that happen now my my thing about all of that i would say the tech companies should be able to do whatever the hell they want with their private property However, when you dig in Google for starters, those guys are incubated by the government. They are given grants. Their universities are given grants. They're given, um, you know, they have basically kind of crowdsourcing for this stuff. If you're one of the chosen few, they will help you. They'll help you with some of the stuff they already know. And in a world like that, tech is going to move much, much faster for the people who are chosen, the people who are beholden to the government and a regular startup guy in his garage, which they act like they are, you know, that's what Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, all those guys pretend that they are, but ultimately they are not. And the guys who are can never, are never going to compete with Google search engine in, in a timely enough fashion to grab market share. So these are basically government instituted monopolies that do that, that owe the government that probably have deals with the government that even Uber like gets technology from the department of defense that benefit from the grants and MIT and all that, which is basically an arm of the department of defense. So, so for me, if they, if it were free, if it were free market tech would be probably in my opinion, less advanced at this point, 
but it would be much more diverse and you wouldn't have this kind of power in their hands anyway. And so, I mean, the, the, the censorship argument, it's basically, so, so the tech companies censoring speech is really an act of government and they shouldn't do it at all. You know, and the argument about regulating it is they're going to do it because it's a private company and you can't tell them not to. But we're allowed to regulate private companies. And I say it's not really a private company. It should not be allowed to do it. And worse of all of this, and then I'm going to ask you if you're still there, Binkley, because I know I'm completely dominating this conversation. <laughs> but um, the worst thing is that the tech companies, it's we've been completely sucked into a world that requires it. So the Obama phone wasn't about giving free stuff away. The Obama phone was about making sure every single solitary person in the country was completely attached to the matrix, that all the bookstores closed down. You know, there's no alternative. You must in order to, it's like the sign of the beast, like the 666, like that, that was your marking to be able to take, to do business in the marketplace. And that's, you really can't make a living without this stuff anymore. So once they control your means of subsistence, you are beholden to them. So in a natural environment, no one can really control subsistence because you can just eat berries, you know? But if you consider subsistence, you know, you need sanitation because we live, you know, not in a, a self-absorbing environment, you know? We we live statically in permanent places, then you kind of are dependent on different kinds of grids, electric grids, water grids, stuff like that. And uh and then they've got you. So it's really catch twenty-two. I don't know what to do about it, but I would say I would err on the side of saying that the techs, the tech companies that have ever any person there, any technology there that has benefited in any way from a government grant or even from research funded by a university that gets government money, which is all of them except for Hillside College, if I'm correct. I bet Thomas Aquinas College doesn't get it either. But, uh, you know, they are they are government quasi-governmental entities. And and furthermore, <laughs> this is perfectly in line with what Zbigniew Brzezinski said in Crisis of Democracy, where you want to get everybody attached to an institution over which they have no democratic control, like a trade union, a university, a corporation. And that way, they, you don't, they don't have a say. You don't have to be transparent. You're not accountable. And they have no rights. And that, I think, is what is the world that has been created for us. Let's fold this in with what we were talking about in the beginning. Well, uh, I, it seems to me that the Antifa and neo-Nazi stuff, the minute it came out on Saturday, in real time, I, we were doing the show, I said this is for left and right to cry out at once for censorship of the Internet, that I felt really censoring speech on the Internet is what I saw coming. And, and of course, people thought I was crazy. You think everything is a conspiracy. And then later in the week, Rush and Hannity came out and said, oh, it's the left on both sides, you know, the controlled opposition thing that I was talking about, but I wasn't, they're saying it's the Democrats, you know, they're trying, like, as if the deep state really is Obama holdovers, which of course it is not. But as you 
so these conflicts, it seems to me, have a few purposes. The divide and conquer thing um, is always at the heart of it all to make sure that we don't see common ground in anything because there actually is real slavery still in the world that everybody could agree might be something we want to stop if you want to have sanctions on countries that don't control slavery. But instead, uh, we're at each other's throats and Trump is making speeches about Afghanistan and, uh, you know, that's the one thing they don't call him crazy about is is when he wants to go to war. But then the next day, just to erase what everybody thought was very sober. Oh, yes, of course, by golly, we need to fight in Afghanistan for another 17 years until we get that Osama bin Laden, because, you know, he's. Oh, <laughs> I mean, why are we still in Afghanistan? So the next day he put a speech out there that made him look crazy again so he could relaunch the crazy talk, which is briefly replacing the Russia talk. But if they're going to get rid of him, I would say they're going on the one hand, the Russia stuff is about maybe impeachment or resignation. The crazy stuff, which I believe I um, talked about with you, uh, might lead to the you know, leads to the 25th Amendment talk. And I bet the people who listen to this show, the first time they ever even heard of the 25th Amendment was on this show a couple of months ago uh, because I had heard about it in connection with JFK. It passed right after JFK was assassinated. And the idea was we don't want to have to kill the next guy who goes off the wall. We want to just be able to remove him from office. <laughs> and then Nixon, you know, he was forced out. So they try different ways to get rid of people. And uh, and it seems to me like Trump is setting himself up and and they are setting him up to do, you know, at least to talk about the 25th Amendment. Oh, yeah. They've been bringing it up on about every new show I've watched over the past couple of days. So should I read what it is? Yeah. All right. Um, whenever the vice president and the majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments which I guess is the cabinet or of such other body as Congress may by law provide transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the speaker of the house of representatives, their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. This was, ratified February 67. So it was a year and a half before Nixon was elected. It was, they knew how unpopular Johnson was though at that point. Like he wasn't even running for his own <laughs> nomination as an incumbent in his own party. Am I wrong about that? I think he did not. And my guess is that's unprecedented in modern times. So they probably knew it was coming. Maybe they did it. I don't know why they did it, but Nixon was uh, Watergate, I think, was a, a sort of coup. He resigned as they were drawing up impeachment proceedings. But what is interesting to me that people don't ever seem to talk about is that his vice president, the guy who was elected with him on the ticket, Spiro Agnew, resigned as vice president and it was replaced by Gerald Ford for an issue totally under unrelated to Watergate. And I just bought his book called leave quietly or else. So he was strong armed into resigning on a totally unrelated matter. They put Gerald Ford in place and then 
Nixon resigned and this other guy got promoted. So the vice president becomes president under that circumstance. I don't know if that people are terrified, keep getting stuff like the only thing worse than a Trump president is Mike Pence. I don't know why abortion. They think that he hates gay people more than Trump, more than they believe Trump hates gay people, which Trump doesn't really hate. gay. I can't. I, I don't. I'm sure Trump doesn't care about anybody but himself. <laughs> You know what I mean? He just, yeah. he seems like a narcissist himself. You know, he's a womanizer. He's just doesn't, I, I just, I just doubt he cares. Like, I believe that he probably thinks everybody's beneath him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's unfair. I don't know. I really, I don't know. Okay. Your turn. Well, that's a lot to, a lot <laughs> to digest there. Which, I'm just kidding. Uh, not leaving you hanging. It's just funny because I just talked, I think, solidly for a half an hour and I really didn't think I had that much to say. Oh, come on. What? I do. <laughs> what? You, we do shows and you'll you'll be worried that you're not uh, <laughs> going to have any. I'm like, are you crazy? Of course you're going to. Because every single time, even like on the WSB show, I'll send you like 25 pages of notes and never get past the first page. The first paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a problem. Isn't it awesome how... What was obviously a terrible affliction for my parents <laughs> became something that people can enjoy. I, exactly. It's like a circus act. <laughs> yeah. My dad used to tell me to go argue with a tree. So <laughs> I actually could do that. I mean, there is definitely times that, that uh, you could do that until the tree just throws <laughs> itself <up>. down. <laughs> right. No, but it's true. So we've touched on Trump being crazy, which is the reaction to his speech. Universally, that is basically the reaction to his speech last night, is he's crazy, he's unfit. We've touched on the protest, how that is going to lead into the federalization of the police. And we've touched on the tech companies kind of taking over or taking over censorship for the government you know, which is going to lead to the destruction of the First Amendment. So they all kind of fold into the First Amendment is what it sounds like. To I think I thought the First Amendment was top of the list for this year for a while. Like last year, I I wrote an article like the soon to be late great First Amendment and Vern Jordan calls for tech companies to censor the Internet. You know, like I did that before Trump was even elected. Yeah. So I I know that's why when and I see this stuff happening where Trump's like, you know, I know I made a lot of promises on the campaign trail, but once he actually said it in the speech, once you sit behind this the the desk, you know, you realize that it's much more complicated than you would ever think. And <laughs> let me just trust me, we need to bomb everybody. You know, yeah, that's he what, did make that pivot. Yeah, the that's speech. what everybody says. I remember when Obama got elected, I had a realtor, and he was super conservative, and and. And I was like, look, and he was all mad at Obama, whatever. And I was like, you know, Obama is just <laughs> same old, same old. He's just a puppet for the military industrial complex. He's just going to bring you the same wars. And he said, I said, he already is talking about it. And he said, no, what happens is they get in there, they sit behind the desk and they start getting briefed. And then they realize how bad things are and they just have to continue to prosecute these wars. You know, that's every single President, whoever gets in, it's the same story over and over again, always the same story. And this is what he's saying. And I say, you know, isn't it 
obvious that that's not really what's happening, but these guys are just faking you out to make you think that you have some control over the political process. And then they go in and they do what the military industrial complex has them all do, which is rack up debt, drop bombs and soften up uh, the populations of other countries to get their resources on behalf of uh, cronies. And when they say Trump scripted, Trump gives a unifying speech which is what they said about the one the other day. They're literally talking about he's following the script that all presidents are supposed to follow. And then when they talk about unhinged Trump, yeah. And that's what the press loves. I mean, how is that a free press? How is that a critical press? Yeah, exactly. So he goes off script, and then they're discrediting everything he says. So that's why they got this two dynamics. they might actually let him, like the script might be go off script because when I, I'm just, I was trying to read the transcript, which is pretty hilarious when you try to read it of the rally speech, reading the Afghanistan speech transcript was reading what the speechwriter wrote and it was coherent and whatever. But the rally one, I mean, you know, sentences without verbs in them, like crazy stuff like that. And he just goes through all the things he said word for word of the previous week. The first eight pages of this 19-page transcript I printed out was him talking about himself, quoting himself, and just saying, this is me talking, people, and then him saying something, which was obviously him talking. Well, you know the outrage they pulled from that is when Trump repeated his words from the Charlotte incident, his initial statement where he says – on both sides or yeah, on yeah. many sides on many sides <laughs> many when he made that statement he read his statement again he said here's the yeah. first statement i made and he reads that statement and then he stopped before he said the many sides thing so he just read the first part of that statement now the thing that the media was outraged about last yeah. week was the many sides thing so he left that out so the story yeah. other than trump is crazy became trump is a liar Remember what uh, what did yeah. uh, Lemon say at the beginning? We played that clip where he First said thing he total said was eclipse of the facts yes, was Lemon's yes, little yes, quippity. Yes. But even last night when I was watching CNN, they're like, the very first thing he said was a lie. Not a lot of protesters. There's a lot of protesters. I did okay. notice that when I was reading it, that yeah. it said it didn't say that part. And, you know, for me looking at it. <clears throat> he was right. There was violence everyone, on both sides. He was right there. Yes, right. If everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, I I wouldn't put past anybody to say what's in their interests about what they said, but the whole thing was just ranging and kooky. And, uh, and I think, you know, you have to wonder how much of when you see these things unfolding, like these plans unfolding, these stories that serve an agenda purpose, I'm always challenged to try to figure out, I don't know how important it is to figure out, but somehow I always end up trying to figure out what is kind of pre-planned and storyboarded and, you know, how much latitude they give these guys to talk off the cuff because it has to kind of sound real. Like Don Lemon speaking, it never sounds real. And so it's not very convincing. And Trump, when he, you know, he's getting less and less real sounding, the more and more he reads. But then like with that combative press conference he had right after Charlottesville, maybe it was on Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which, if it was the one where he said bad things, I think it was on the Tuesday after Charlottesville, he was yelling at them. And it seemed very it natural. Unscripted Trump. Yes. And and it was very natural and convincing. And I have to believe that actually it was unscripted because I don't think he's very good with the script. I think it's very obvious 
And I wonder, and I wondered why they didn't give him better teleprompter training. And maybe it was in anticipation of kind of hanging him out here. You yeah, know, I think that's intentional. I think that's yeah, the that clear. I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. If he had great teleprompter, great teleprompter yeah, like training. Obama. Yeah. Well, Obama's not even that great with the teleprompter training. But he's Somebody not that who's great, great with a teleprompter anyway. Yeah, yeah. It you're sounds not going to know. You're going to think that the uh, the idea of any speech of any like you see these comedy acts like people used to see Robin Williams they think he was improvising off the cuff he, he practiced those moments over and over and over again so that it looked like he was improvising off the cuff these things come from hours and hours of rehearsal so somebody who's good with a teleprompter you don't think there's a teleprompter yes so yeah. I think that Trump is intentionally kind of not so good with it so that the media can clearly identify that scripted Trump. They have to be able to identify it. Scripted Trump versus unscripted yeah. Trump. I don't think he knows that though. I don't think he's doing that on purpose. I think they just didn't train him. I think that that's somebody else's job and they didn't do it. But with Obama, he, when, even when he was speaking one-to-one with people, he was so measured, you know, it was like he was acting anyway even without an actual teleprompter in front of yeah. him, that it just there, he never really sounded any more or less genuine than at any other time. You know, maybe sometimes when he was goofing around with Beyonce or whatever, you know, and he's just yeah, having a good Beyonce time. Coming the back door of the white house. <laughs> oh, you think <laughs> maybe was she his Marilyn Monroe? Well, she tried to be, but then she realized he was gay. So <laughs> oh, you think, there was that guy who died. What was his name? Larry. Larry something. I was going to say Larry Nichols, but that's the Clinton no way. person. No, 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 yeah, no. No, that guy, no, that guy talking about that. totally outed stuff with Obama. Was he a state senator at the, at the time with yeah, like Chicago. crack? And um, this guy was gay and they were doing stuff and limos. And, and he came out and told the whole story. And he was died in a car accident a year later. Yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting story that yeah. listeners should check out. When they have well, I watch. I don't know why I've taken to watching forensic files lately. I think it just. <laughs> I've been in hotel rooms a lot. I had a lot of traveling to do, and uh, the sometimes it's the only station you can get. But I feel like it just it's like lightens up my mood a little bit <laughs> to watch forensic forensic files. files does. Yeah, compared to like the news and the funerals that I've been to, I feel like yeah, forensic yeah. files is kind I of watch like tales from the crypt to really lighten up. Yeah, it's mood. like a, light, a little lighter. But when you <laughs> see that, when you see that, and you hear like the detectives talking, and they'll say things like, "At a crime scene, there's no such thing as coincidence." You know, this guy was killed shortly after making really offensive statements against his boss, you know, and it's always the boss who did it. You know what I mean? Like it's always like if this, if this actual forensics was applied to politics, yeah, all these problems would be solved. You know, all these, all these mysteries would be, there'd be no unintended consequences. There'd be no coincidences. It would be like, Oh yeah, he said bad stuff. So they killed him. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody ever investigates it that way. Well, maybe we need to put the, the forensic team on, the political issues of the day. Actually, you know, this is is something that gets to me is that when Trump opened his speech praising the military and I was, my dad was in, in the Navy in World War II. My brother was in the Air Force during Vietnam and I was raised, I mean, these people, certainly my dad went in just out of pure patriotism 
And he loved this country. He defended the country. He absolutely, after he got back in the 50s and 60s, he saw that it was completely subverted. But uh, when at his funeral, they showed up and they they folded the flag up and they kneeled and presented it to my mother. And I mean, I was just weeping. It was very moving. So I, I have real respect on these guys go and, and you talk to them and I have a lot of respect for them. But this worshiping, you know, you can't say anything wrong. Everybody's always like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to first responders. Thank you to LEO, law enforcement. Thank you to um, the military, all this stuff. Glorifying it, glamorizing it, but really lionizing it, worshiping it. The problem with that is that you can't ever apply normal standards of justice to it. So if you say, well, I'd really like to know more about how the guy in Dallas was killed by like that robot bomb or how the guy in, in Atlanta with the machete in his backpack was killed. I would like, I would like any killing of one person to another, no matter what, any killing at all should have a trial by jury. And, yeah. and if, if you have to eliminate other entire bodies of crime, like prostitution, to free up court time, do it. But that's the thing that uh, yeah, I feel like justice, you know, it's very dangerous that the law enforcement, maybe not today, but in short order, if these civil unrest, you know, if that persists, and you have the standardization of police, you have the police removed further and further from a local connection. Even, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that leads to having cops, you know, like busing in schools, you know, having them go to different counties where they're not of that, where they don't know any of the people. Or somebody suggested to me have only immigrants, not illegal immigrants, just immigrants have really have, have, um, people who weren't raised here were not part of the community be the ones to, you know, maybe have the loyalty to the institution over our foundational documents, all that kind of stuff. I just think it's a little bit dangerous. Uh, you know, that worship thing. I don't know how, what got me started on that, but. Probably. I think at the beginning of Trump's speech, he was praising the military. I think this week. Right. But something made me think of that. I don't know. Can I tell you something else? Yeah. Something that you that you you definitely, I mean, we agreed on, but I think you were leading the charge on it at the time about how Trump and Brexit, and then we had French elections, maybe German elections. I can't remember what else there was. Maybe that these were. I think we had the Netherlands, and there were all these nationalist movements, Marine Le Pen, and all this were were gaining political clout. And the big question was, is the pendulum truly swinging in that direction? And you and I were skeptical about that and said, you know, it's quite possible that that you're really just triggering a reaction and that that Trump and Brexit is about getting the world back behind globalists. For me, I particularly was thinking about the EU because I remember couple of years ago when the EU was really on the rocks with their debt crisis and on the verge of pulling apart, George Soros said, 
conflict with Russia will keep Europe together. And I was like, conflict with Russia? (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. Where did you uh, read that? That George Soros quote. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was a George Soros quote from years ago, which I remember distinctly, but I cannot find it now, which really bums me out. Well, but, that the Chatham, or Chatham House, I always say it wrong, they talk about the Russian threat all the time. No, I know, but this published was published papers. This was long before any of this stuff was bubbling up. George Soros said the EU would pull together in the face of conflict with Russia, which was not, I mean, maybe the Ukraine thing was starting. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I just, uh, I just think uh, my point was that the EU was in need of some catalyst for cohesion and people were worried it was going to break apart. And George Soros was like, don't worry about it. But in addition to the Russia threat, which keeping Europe away from Russia is the number one goal of the Anglo American establishment of which Soros, I believe, is a part. But um, so this Europe thing, I read an article in Tuesday, August 22nd, Wall Street Journal, Europe's populists rethink approach. Officials believe decision to ride the Trump and Brexit waves backfired. So uh, let me see if I've got the quote here. Yeah, I remember you sending that quote. I know it was what they were doing with the EU, at least in my opinion, from the beginning, it seemed kind of odd. I think they were presenting the the conversation, bringing it to the public mind, globalism versus nationalism. And most people never really talked about globalism or world government before. And this the Brexit thing kind of raised that up and made it an important issue in people's minds. And then what they did is you have to make the EU, you have to make it look like the good guy. You have to make it look like the defender of democracy, of freedom, of everything everyone values. And you have to make Russia and everything associated with it the bad guy. So that way, when push comes to shove, when people feel like all of their rights and their lifestyle and everything they've ever cared about is threatened by this evil enemy, which they can now associate with Trump through our propaganda, they can say, we need to go to the EU. The EU is who's going to protect us. Oh, yes, yes. And that's the UN. That's what. Yeah, the UN. I expect the UN is going to is part of that, too. Uh, You know, especially here. I just read this quote. It says many European voters were unsettled by what was happening in the UK and the US. The UK has struggled to figure out how to disentangle itself from the EU. Germans trust in the US fell from 59 percent in November 2016 to 21 percent in February. So four months after Trump got elected and has remained at low levels, 59% of trust in the U.S. to 21% and has remained at low levels. Uh, Support for the EU, battered by long crises over debt and migration, began to recover. The EU's own latest Eurobarometer report on public opinion published in August found that trust in the EU has risen to 42% from 36% a year ago and 32% in late 2015. So, there you have it. And then they, they add anecdotal stuff. Uh, some guy, <laughs> Peter, a 57-year-old worker in a train factory, lives in East Germany, uh, told the journal that he uh, supported the anti-immigration party because Europe doesn't work, and he was fearful of immigrants. Uh, now he felt the other parties needed to be taught a lesson. Now he says he has changed his mind. 
Uh, he says he finds that party too amateurish and extreme and that watching events in the U.S. and U.K. has made him more skeptical. Uh, another random guy says if Mr. Trump had managed to start construction on his promised Mexican border wall, the anti-immigration party could have used the new president's success to trumpet the feasibility of its own demands to close Germany's borders. Now that it's become tangled up in details, pe- people are no longer paying attention. So Trump's failures are demonstrating to Europe the failures of this approach. And that is what we thought, you know, would would be the thing, you know, or scariness, any of that. Yeah. And meanwhile, he can do an hour and a half on how terrible the media is, which he's correct. They are terrible. <laughs> and his base he loves it. You know, don't don't call George Shore. Don't. I mean, Little George, little George. I think that personal tax, like I just, I think it's unseemly and. Right. But that's what the base loves. That's like, it's like ever seen a movie eight mile where they get up and they just insult each other. It's an insult battle and everybody, it's it's, it's like a slam. That's what it is. It's that, that urge to like, like, Oh, like it's like a big, your mama joke. And every time he hits him, everybody goes crazy. You ever see idiocracy? No, I know. I know the movie, but I haven't seen it actually. Uh, this, I'm not saying, I'm not likening Trump to the idiocracy. I'm just saying it gets, it's getting stupid. It's like what I said about the vulgarity and the violence. It just takes away. There's, there are no, this is the thing. This is another thing that's coming up, come up a couple of times in the papers is what I've been saying for a while. There's no content. Like we're not actually very far apart on policy. People don't realize the Republicans are trying to pass a federal health law. I mean, it's over, right? This, right. You know what I mean? Like that it's the Democrats have won. It's not, there's no policy difference anymore. But and Trump's they, not like we talked about. That's how you blind them to it. Like ask me, yeah. ask me about that policy. Like ask me about, pretend I'm Trump and ask me about the fact that Democrats are taking over that. Uh, what do you think, Mr. President, about the fact that no matter what comes out or does not come out of the Senate, the Democrats have effectively won on health care? I, I tell you, I'll tell you what I think. CNN's mother is so fat. <laughs> Everybody just goes wild who juxt- supports Trump. They forget about the question. Juxtapose that with this, with, with the scripted Trump who said this. Listen to this sentence, okay? Get ready. This is Trump. As Trump would say, these are Trump's words. My original instinct was to pull out. And historically, I like following my instincts. But all my life, I've heard that decisions are much different when you sit behind the desk in the Oval Office. In other words, when you're president of the United States. For you idiots out there who don't realize what that meant. (laughs) Sorry, he didn't say that part. That was Monica Perez talking. So I studied, this is the funny part. See, that wasn't the funny part. This is the funny part. This is Trump talking again. So I studied Afghanistan in great detail and from every conceivable angle. All of them. All of the angles. Just think about that. It's as fun. I'm not saying it's funnier because Trump. There are many sides to the angles, many sides. But even think of Obama saying that or George W. Bush saying that. It's preposterous that these guys are studying Afghanistan in great detail and from every conceivable angle. None of them are doing that. My question is, Mr. President, 
Could you tell me how many angles there are specifically? Because <laughs> I'd like to cover these also. Is it a hexagon or a dodecahedron? What yeah. is 400? it? What is it? No, my impression of every single one of those guys is eating ice cream out of the carton and watching basketball on TV. Like I just, that's, I know that's, you know, I just, it's my idea of them being puppets. So he says, after many meetings over many months, we held our final meeting last Friday at Camp David with my cabinet and generals. His cabinet is generals, but whatever. Yeah, cabinet of generals. <laughs> cabinet of generals. <laughs> to complete our strategy, I arrived at three fundamental conclusions about America's core interests if in Afghanistan. Oh, and he throws in the famous, if we leave, we'll create a vacuum. It's like, no, we <laughs> yeah. created the vacuum. We created the vacuum. And yes, a vacuum will be there when we leave Always vacuum, a vacuum. But we, we go in and create vacuums. And then he said, oh, something else which upset me. He said, no one denies that we have inherited a challenging and troubling situation in Afghanistan and South Asia, but we do not have the luxury of going back in time and making different or better decisions. You know, that just pisses me off. You create a vacuum. You have to stay in it forever because if you leave, then there's a vacuum. And then he is popping off on Syria because of the beautiful babies. And he's having a pissing contest with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. You know what I'm saying? So on one hand, he's super measured. Sorry about Afghanistan, guys, but I just got handed a bag of shit and I just got to hold it. And then, but I'm definitely going to fuck with those other guys because they piss me off. You know, it's like, no. You can't have it both ways. Either have measured decisions, you know, actually say that you, you understand what I'm trying to say here? That No, I know exactly what you you're saying. keep making the same damn mistakes over and over again, and they pretend like that. And then everybody later is like, oh, I totally dropped the ball on that. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't have blown that country up. Now, this other country we need to blow up, totally different story. There's we allow them to get away with it because people rationalize. They see what they want to see that confirms their beliefs, and then they ignore or rationalize and justify the other. It's just like Barack Obama's small bombs. You know, we dropped oh, more yeah. bombs, like 100,000 bombs, 22,000 bombs. It was 20,000 bombs that the super, super liberal – um, whatever Uber, it wasn't an Uber driver, it was a limo driver said he was just such a blowhard Democrat apologist. And I said, well, you know, fine, whatever. Republicans are bad. Got it. And Obama is dropping 20,000 bombs a year on Syria. And he literally said, but those are very small bombs. Right. And, and I was like, what's your address? Because we're exactly. going to drop one of them on your house. <laughs> right. If people see it as they but think. It's not an act of war, not an act of war, you know, right. just no big deal. That's it's the same thing on the other side is they just it's the talking out of both sides of their mouths. I and I mean, in, within one sentence of each other. And I'm telling you, I try just threw it out there like this stuff is ridiculous. Hello on Twitter. And people are like, what's the matter with you? You you hate our president. You're not a patriot. He's doing the best he can. He's accomplished so much already. He's going to do everything I wanted him to do. And I'm like, what would you want him to do? I, I was interested in that the other day. I was looking at it. And I know he has done some things, but we talk about the accomplishments and I hear people asked about the accomplishments and the guy didn't know how to answer the question. I made the guy answer me on Twitter and he to told. Yeah. What are they? I'd love to hear him. He said, Loretta Lynch and Hillary are not in the white house. That's, that's a good. One. And Gorsuch. 
And Gorsuch. But sometimes people will say the Muslim ban, but I'm like, you know, they blew that up on purpose. I mean, I immediately wrote an article that says, I tried. He does right. so terribly. There's no way. And Bannon was behind that. Bannon was a an extremely high-ranking attache in the Pentagon for a long time, as was Bob Woodward, by the way, who so-called broke Watergate. Uh, there's no way these guys didn't know what they were doing in, in making that thing impossible. It's just, it's the hashtag lose on purpose, in my opinion. Yeah, and look what bit. happens when you lose, it gets Europe in line, you know, and if Brexit is a disaster or doesn't happen or they turn tail, you know, that helps too. It's that it, it really seems as obvious to me as this, that, that this guy is in there to blow himself up and destroy because now he's not only destroying the freedom carcass, but he's in there destroying establishment Republicans too. It's as if the Democrats or whoever's behind Trump are so excited that he put an end to any possible grassroots movement of unity around Ron Paul, who would end the Fed and end the wars. The two things that both sides could agree on. That's why I finally concluded once and for all that Ron Paul can't possibly be controlled opposition because those are the two things nobody's allowed to talk about really. And, uh, and those are the two things that would unite us all. So that's the thing about the divisiveness. This is divide and conquer is obvious, right? What are those two things again? And the fed and, and the wars, which by the way, the wars, the really big wars started with the fed, but as did the IRS um, and the FBI. So when, when you so the divide and conquer thing is obviously behind this divisiveness, but it's it's really a very fundamental. It's beyond divide and conquer. It's divide and conquer. Why? Because there is a unifying sense of justice among the populace that we would all agree on certain things. Absolutely. Uh, if they didn't they, keep people so polarized. We yes. would have conversations. We would realize yes. that 90% of the people are a lot more reasonable and closer right. in, in their beliefs than the media would have us believe. The media makes us think that there's a bunch of freaking communists, extreme violent communists and extreme right. violent Nazis running around when that's just a very small percentage of the population. And it, you know what? how you know it's a small percentage? Because stuff works. Like people are not – totally irrational. They continue to show up for work, you know, like your groceries show up on the shelves. You know what I'm saying? It's like, how do I know that man is good? Fundamentally good. So people, not everybody believes this, but for me, like the best proof that man is good is that is the concept of plumb. You know what plumb is like, as opposed to horizontal, like not level, but plumb. You ever do any building? I don't know what that is. Plum. All right, a plumb bob, like it's like a metal thing on the end of a string and you hold it and it's perfectly like it, it's pointing to the center of the earth. It's absolutely, you know, it's uh, it's perfect. So all buildings are plumb or they would just tip over. If you build if the building is, and it's happened a couple of times where buildings have tipped over. And I just think anything that perfect, you know, you can build a 110 story building and it's plumb. And that, like, to me, is an objective truth. And it's a representation of the way man thinks 
because a lot of people are in on building that building and everybody there understands the concept of plum. Yeah. And I just, so, uh, so I feel like our people, like a bunch of raving lunatics, you know, somebody called on the show and was like, yeah, you're talking about theories, but people have loaded guns at these things. You know, if you see people with loaded guns, say, you know what, you're ruining it. You're a jerk. We're all leaving. You know what I mean? Just do that. You know, don't like be like, okay, the Second Amendment's got to go. This is crazy. Yeah, and statistically, just because the media is reporting about some Nazis that are doing something, right? That doesn't mean that there is a huge increase or a widespread uh, Nazism going on in America. It simply means that the media is reporting this incident and making it important in people's minds. When in reality, there are rallies that go on all over the country throughout the year that don't get reported and if we reported all of them we could make that our reality we could make people genuinely believe genuinely believe that there are nazis everywhere but the reality is there's a small group of people that do a bunch of stupid shit and to think that nazism is just going to take over america is absolutely absurd well unless my friends on facebook have the nazi symbol of 45 they they turned President number 45, they turned it into like a Nazi symbol because the four and the five can ah, do that and oh a big gosh. X across oh it. Like my half the people I know on Facebook have that thing as their Facebook picture. Is I'm, that I'm, what that is? I didn't. Yes. I, I noticed the Nazi sign, but I didn't notice that it was – oh, my gosh. It's crazy. Oh, genius. Oh, my gosh. Like I feel like that if that was like a gift from God for the propagandists or something like intentional. Right, yeah, but yeah. I have two things to say about that. One is that – you see more and more, and I even saw it on Fox News last night and texted you. You see the reporters leading the protesters around. Yeah, the guy had the mask on. Uh, I don't know. It's like there was like some kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Guy and was then, doing a live report with a gas mask on. It was hilarious. And but he was leading people around to get them to a better place. It's just <laughs> staging, and you can see you see that all the time now. I don't know why, but like people are tweeting well, out. Let me play this clip for you. This reminded me of that. <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about all of the all of the people that were supposed to be at the protest. This has been the meme for the past week, or one of the memes anyway, where it's the thousands of protesters dwarfed the Trump supporters outside of the rally or whatever, and they were trying to present that meme again yesterday, saying all day long there was thousands of people there, even afterwards saying thousands of people, yet – There was a brief clip I caught on CNN, which they kind of quickly moved past that I want to play for you. Here it is. And they're talking about this is somebody reporting live from the protesters outside of the Trump rally yesterday. Uh, Outside that arena are Miguel Marquez, also in Phoenix tonight, uh, among the many protesters there. Miguel, what is the scene there and what are you hearing uh, from from the protesters gathered? Uh, anger, in a word, Jim. There, uh, let me just show you what's going on here. You have about 30, maybe 40 protesters here who have come here to basically taunt the president's supporters as they filed in the convention center. 30 or 40. That was oh, at 7 God. Eastern time. Four. Okay. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. And I think I told you when I looked at those, um, the, the smoke and the fog of the yeah. images from after. Yeah. To me, it just, it just looked like the same small crowd. But a couple people caused some chaos, and that smoke makes it seem more than it is. Or maybe they lit it off themselves for all uh, yeah, we true. know. But I marched against Obamacare, and one of the marches they were they were big marches. One of the marches was, you know, it was just 
I felt it was hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, it was a huge, huge march. And uh, it was reported as in the thousands, even by, I remember O'Reilly. I know the Right to Life March in Washington, D.C. is barely even covered. Yeah. So 40 people. I think my mom, who prays the rosary in front of Planned Parenthood, because she doesn't like to get arrested anymore because she's 88. So, anymore? She used to. Oh, no, maybe she's what... I think maybe she never... She ha, She has gotten arrested, but she doesn't like to get arrested. Some of them want to get arrested. So yeah. they sit on the steps and then they get carried off. So that happened once they carried my mother off. She was like in the wrong place. And she <laughs> said, oh, no, I'm not one of the ones who gets arrested. <laughs> and the cops said, you are today. <laughs> so little did she know, my sister and my father, who were home, were waiting for her. And she didn't want to disturb anybody, so she didn't call home. She was in jail till 6 in the morning. She comes home at 6 in the morning. My father and my sister sitting there looking at her like, where the hell have you been? <laughs> like, oh, I was in jail. It's all right. <laughs> it was good. We hit, They gave me coffee. How old was she? Then now you have to realize my mother was as old as Sarah when I was born. I'm actually a sprightly youth and she is a doddering old woman, but um I have to throw that in there at least for a couple more years. <laughs> so uh how old was she? <sighs> she was I'm sure she was in my guess is she was in her seventies. Now that's perfect for indivisible. They want to see police officers <laughs> dragging seventy year old women into jail. Who are resisting. She yes. resisted. Right. I'm not one of the ones who gets arrested. But I mean, there are definitely 40 people who sit. She has a little chair. She has like fingerless gloves. And she just says the rosary <clears throat> in front of the Planned Parenthood. And they never yell at anybody except for when my sister used to go. She used to yell at people. And they, <laughs> they were like, you can't yell at people. What's the matter with you? Why are you? you you're you on the wrong side of this, my sister said. Because people would would yell at them, you know, on this. On We'd pull up in front of the. <laughs> thing and like mouth off to them and these are all little old ladies saying the rosary and my sister <laughs> who's quite mouthy she's the she's she was something else again but uh anyway they never i can't can't imagine that that group of 30 or 40 people was ever on the news but 30 or 40 people can accomplish that purpose of making it seem like there's a lot more well, there's ta- they talk about those tactics in Saul Alinsky and the Indivisible Guide, how, how to make a small number of people seem like it's more. They talk about spreading the crowd out and making oh, your voice yeah. boot, like how to manipulate it I so that it seems like there's more. Trump made a tactical error because in that rally he said, look, look, if people could see this crowd, they'd see how huge this crowd is. But the cameras, they'll never turn the cameras on the crowd. They don't want people to, but they did turn the cameras on the crowd. And I was like, it looks, I was like, you know, it looks like a Ron Paul rally, which is pretty awesome. I got to say, Ron Paul used to draw the crowds, but I definitely have seen Ron Paul in front of bigger crowds than that. But it was full, you know. I feel like um, there was so much about the tech censorship that I was interested in, but it's... uh I guess kind of nerdy. So what no, about? I mean, the- I think the tech censor- censorship is good. Is if we're going to go into that, oh. it's going to. I have no. I'm not going to go into dive. That. I'm what? going to. I I do want to give you a mind vitamin. I want to share with you. 
share with the listener a mind vitamin I fed you during the break on the WSB show the other day. It never came out on the air. Uh, but I think it's really something to think deeply about. And then I want to hear Hillary, the Hillary clip. All right. This idea that I had, because this idea about free speech, can you yell fire in a crowded theater? And I'm like, well, if there isn't one. And I, my answer would be, I think it's up to the guy who owns the fire, the uh, theater. And if you disturb his business, he has a cause against you, a claim against you. Uh, or if somebody gets hurt, they have a claim against you. So you don't have to regulate the free speech, but if you punish the damages, people are careful about how, if people are held accountable for the damage they do, they tend to learn not to do a lot of damage. So I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I'm kind of an absolutist when it comes to free speech. Unless, I think, if I recall correctly from law school, I think there's a, like, speech can be a crime if you're conspiring to commit a crime with, like, time and place, and there's no further planning necessary. So if you and I agreed to kill somebody, and who it was, how were we going to do it, when were we were going to do it, and the next thing that was going to happen was that we were going to do it, I think that in itself is part of the crime. Does That's that sound a conspiracy right? to commit the crime. But I, but I believe it's part of the crime. I actually think the crime commences at that time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I'm not a big fan of like the Rico, the conspiracy stuff as the crime. I like the legal thing where it actually, actually has to be an essential part of the crime. That's what, that is the distinction I'm trying to draw. Then, so I think of all the things that people argue against free speech, you're not allowed to say just anything because that's what, that's what they're saying about jihadists on the internet. They're being radicalized by the CIA, by the way, like in the British intelligence. You ever see that super, remember I sent you that article about the production company that was making jihadi recruitment videos for the CIA? Yeah. And they, the idea was that it was to trap the viewer, but the guy who made the video was like, we didn't set anything up <laughs> that you could actually record who was viewing it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so... Yeah, the FBI and the CIA totally radicalizes these... these yeah, they do yeah. that stuff. And But my point is that, okay, so maybe there's... Take that out of the equation. Is it wrong for people to radicalize jihadists on the internet with their language? Where You know, what do you shut down? And I, you know, that's where you have to decide what is a crime. Right. Where does the crime begin? Is just giving somebody a feeling, a passion, an idea, manipulating them emotionally or politically, is that really, are you then responsible for their actions? Like uh, Charles Manson is in jail for that. He did not kill anybody, but he's in jail for murder because the things he said made other people commit murder. But they also went to jail for the murder. So... Was he in control of them? You know what I mean? Like, that's a serious yeah. question. Um, and I would probably, you know, come down on the side of free speech. But then there's the porn question. Porn, pornography. Should it be censored? And it's very hard to say it should not. I mean, I really find my son, who has Down syndrome, just loves hip-hop. And uh, someone gave him a Shawn Mendes CD, which I guess is not hip-hop. But... but I listen to it and it doesn't have profanity in it, but it's, it's kind of disgusting. You know, a lot of these songs are just absolutely physical, sexual, you know, 
they, I love you. And then they proceed to describe the intimate details of being in bed with this person for the night. You know, like it just, there's nothing more to it than the physical, you know, I'm in love with your body, you know, whoever sings that, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's just, it gets gross. It really gets gross to me. And it's like so awful that this poor innocent kid, that's what he's getting exposed to. So I hate it. And I was thinking in the porn, you know, porn really gets, it's so pervasive apparently that it really distorts, you know, teen boys preparation for having a normal relationship. I really don't think they understand yeah, that's, that they're learning some it, bad habits. They're supposed to get married and be nice to people for sex. Like that's that's the trade off. You know, <laughs> you're nice to me. I want to sleep with you. Like that's great. And it and if you don't have, you know, like if if you don't think you have to, you know, I'm simplifying it, but that's what marriage and home and family like. You cooperate. Why do women cooperate? You know, this I'm totally going off on sexist. They're going to demonetize us because I'm completely sexist. But let's just say in my nuclear household, I'm grateful that I get to keep the cave clean and raise my kids, and my husband pays the bills, and I try not to be too much of a haranguing, nagging shrew because the guy works hard, and yes, he like you know whatever leaves his dishes everywhere, but you know, whatever. I don't care. It's just, you got, you can't be a complete bitch because then as my brother said, man, for a while there, you're such a bitch. I thought he would leave you. I was like, if I thought he would leave me, I wouldn't have been such a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So my point is that if you rely on each other for things that are important to you, you know, that that's why you're, Simple. I I know it sounds like I'm being mercenary about love and marriage and even friendship and stuff, but if you really drill down, there's a mutualness to all this stuff. It's really more like an insurance policy. You know, in many ways, friendship and family are insurance policies. You don't know who's going to get it. You know, you don't know who's the one who's going to need the help and not really be able to contribute. But you look for people who you know, if it's you who needs the help, they'll be there for you. And those people might also be looking for people who they can count on. And that's the foundation of strong relationships. So I think the whole thing with like teen, the boy's initial exposure to the sexual relationship is so distorted. I can't help but think it's going to have a very bad impact on their ability to have a uh, you know multifaceted intimate relationship with the mother of their children. Well, they're Those all going to get children. jobs as handymen and plumbers, and then they're just going to be shocked when they're not having sex with every <laughs> client that they have. Oh my gosh! Occasionally, you do get a fresh one, and you're I'm like, "What are you thinking, buddy?" Maybe that's where he gets it. So, but here was my insight. It was like, so what? But I'm a libertarian, and I really. I don't want to, I don't, I I wouldn't even restrict it. And then I think, well, then it would just be everywhere. But actually it would, it would be nowhere, I think. And this is why. Media, all of it, radio, TV and everything, really from the very beginning was war propaganda. The BBC, CBS, everything was like war department stuff. And in order to get it into your homes, to get you to go watch the newsreels and stuff, People had to feel it was okay to send their kids. It was okay to go. If, if it were riddled with porn, people wouldn't 
go. It's like, it's like advertising laws. If there weren't truth in advertising laws, no one would believe advertising and advertising would be totally not effective and it wouldn't exist. But there are these protections so that you can count on going. And then over time, they loosen up on those. Our standards get eroded and lo and behold, things are super disgusting and everybody's got a device in their hands. If you know what I'm saying? In a free, in a free market from the beginning, not at the end of this hundred years of psychological manipulation and dumbing us down and, uh, you know, all that vulgarizing us. If it had been free from the beginning, our, the values that existed then, which I think were good, would have, uh, Prevented the propaganda this. from coming through. Yes. It would have stopped yeah. the propaganda. So, so it had to be a slow erosion of the values. Yes, yes. And but the reason they banned porn was so the propaganda could get through to us. Right. So banning the porn is really just a crutch to keep the screens going. So if right now everybody at porn became completely legal, completely legal, no limits whatsoever, and everything you watched or touched or smelled ooh, was porn. We would, the screens would go away. I, I still, I, I think it's not even too late now that if it, if you completely unleashed it, people would take the computers out of their houses. My kids go to the super Catholic school and a lot of those families just don't, they don't even have the internet. How do you like that? That's, I mean, I think it's probably a good idea. Yeah. These kids are like, you know, <laughs> pick up a violin and they're, they sound like virtuosos. I'm like, oh, is that what happens if you're not sitting around watching Drivers, diners, and drive-ins, diners. Watching puppets masturbate on YouTube. These are some of the popular channels on YouTube that are not getting demonetized. It's like Like puppets (laughs) masturbating. Oh, really? It's unbelievable. Millions and millions of subscribers, and the whole thing is anatomically correct puppets. Well, the puppet doesn't actually have a a peener, so to speak. Is that what is that what the uh, is that the word for it? But it does just have the puppet just kind of slaps himself and makes funny noises and he just does <laughs> different weird situations and it's it's really like I watch well I don't watch I was it. gonna say are you are you, you know, one of the kids I'm sitting around with my friends' kids. I might have told this story before, but I was babysitting my friends' kids and they were they were just like laughing their asses off. They're they're connected to these things, like they're addicted to crack. Like every kid I know is just addicted to their their device. Yeah. And yeah. They're laughing their ass off, and I'm like, "What are you guys watching? Let's let's put it on the TV over there. I want to see it too." I was, you know, I was trying to get some information to try to help out their mom find out what they're watching and stuff. And so we throw it on the TV, and I'm watching this story about this puppet who becomes a rapper, and he shoots a girl, and he hits a bitch, and every few seconds he beats <laughs> off. And, oh it's just, and, and these kids are ten and. I think 10 and 12, 9 and 11 oh. time, and they're just la- – every time he cusses, they're laughing their ass off. Every time he goes, rat, 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 which is the the beating off sound he's making as the puppet's <laughs> hand just, just flies, you know. It's, it's just – it's so obscene. Is it humorous? It's so stupid. And it's, no, it's terrible. It's not – that's what uh. pissed me off the most is it wasn't even good. <laughs> me too. And, it's not know, good. I'm like – I'm watching this, and I'm going, this is – they have millions – of subscribers and this video has 13 million views it's been up for like a month and this is it's all kids it's all kids watching it and their parents have no idea that they're watching it they have no idea that this kind of stuff is so accessible on youtube and when you try to take it away from them they they just lose their minds because they're so addicted that happens to my son who's with the downs kid he 
he get he we call it hulking out. Yeah. Hulking out. He's like, we had to take his laptop away. And I thought it was fairly harmless. I mean, he just he watches Johnny Tess 90 percent of the time. But he was starting to watch um, stuff on YouTube. There was some vulgar stuff. But even when we put like the nanny guard and stuff like that on, it was uh, it was so scary paranormal stuff and like it was just scaring the crap out of him and that's you know there's nothing you can do but i just i want it i i feel like if it i guess maybe it is too late i don't know if you walked i don't know maybe it is too late to like for people like would people throw all their would they turn the internet off if it was just nothing but porn i i would like to think they would but they, you know, maybe maybe that is maybe it is nothing but porn, and we still don't do it. Nothing but porn is the name of a, <laughs> a, a porn shop that is some kid's dream right now. He's he's got the. It's going to be nothing but porn, and we're going to open a store, and it's going to be nothing but porn. It's going to be the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> That's my dream. How much you want to bet? I'm going to Google it right now. I'm sure oh, it's already taken. Nothing but porn.com. Be careful. Right, <laughs> like that on my phone. I did something like that once, and I have to say, the ads, it was very bad in my house because the ads. The Amazon on, ads were probably very provocative. On all of the devices. Yeah. So then, like, my 10 year old son was like, What's this? <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was just. I mean, it's, just, it's called a furry, son. That's where you I put don't. on the mask of a bear and you go to a conference. No, and... I was writing a, um, a glossary entry truth porn. That yeah. was my glossary entry. And I was looking for when Will Ferrell discuss, like, gets so good at yoga. Hold it up on himself. Yes. And then he like doesn't come back forever. So like <laughs> when you open the door, like the whole door is full. The room is full of his white beard. Oh, yeah. So anyway, my husband was like, you can't search for porn. <laughs> I was like, I was just truth porn. I wanted to see if anybody had invented the term before. <laughs> Thank goodness my husband does not listen to this because <laughs> he'd be like, what are you talking about? Anyway. The censorship stuff, people should know, 40 of my videos got demonetized on, and a lot of them are our propaganda report. I I think I feel like that goes to this National Review article where the guy is convincing the right to uh, ask the Republican Congress to censor, to regulate how tech censors stuff because the only stuff that's getting censored is stuff on the right, and I feel like that's why our stuff is getting. I mean, I, I don't. I don't actually think we're on the right, but we're certainly not on the left. It's we're anybody on the that right. doesn't talk, doesn't serve the mainstream narrative is really Correct. who's getting demonetized. Yeah. And there are groups on the left, like the Young Turks, who really they aren't getting demonetized. So it's very clear there's a bias, and the bias is present when you look at the the new standards that Google. I mean, this happened all. There, we had had a couple videos demonetized here and there, but then last week in one day, forty videos were demonetized. And I looked it oh. up; and it wasn't just this. wasn't just yeah. me. This was. Right. You might know. You would know who Diamond and Silk is if you heard a clip of them. But it's these two kind of sassy black girls, where one of them 
talks about, you know, all presidents doing the right thing. And then the other one is the hype, the hype man role. And she just goes, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, that's right, mm-hmm. Every, like, she interjects. These, these girls are on Hannity all the time now. No they, way. Yeah, they got like 95% of their videos demonetized. And all these channels. Okay, that well, that to me. They, Google set new standards recently. and yeah, they, They're being demonetized is the PSYOP that will get. You know, that feeds into this National Review guy's story. And that's, that's that. Right. That's, that's all about. What they've done, the standard that they, this was last week that Google came out with the new standards and it talks about how they're going to monitor hate speech, how they're going to deal with people who talk about these, you know, complex issues that really, you know, that, that lend towards the Nazi white nationalist narrative, uh, videos that, promote radicalization and terrorism and they're going to ha- they're going to get help using a trusted flagger program so they're going to have actual people flagging the types of channels that promote this type of what they call hate speech and one of the groups in this flagger program is the anti-defamation league which is completely way left-wing liberal propaganda outlet there's facebook is another one all the people all the groups that are identifying who the hate speech channels are are insane left-wing the haters left-wing yeah, haters. it's unbelievable that's, it's so that's biased what, that's what that's the game that is being played right now that's why when i say it's not left versus right and everybody on the right is saying it's the left is doing all this stuff to the right and they're behind it all that's yeah. just to get the right who tends to be the strict absolutist defenders or at least conceive themselves to be as the diehard defenders of the bill of rights they're the ones you got to get on board first. And how do you do that? You do that by getting them, uh, attacking them from the left and making them think that government intervention is going to be good for them. That's why it's so bad when they lose their principles. That's why when Trump said in his speech that the whole point, uh, you know, what's so, what's so bad about people asking, you know, getting, what does he say? Uh, you know, whatever he says, it, it's for people to get what they need for themselves. I think I absolutely have to read. Um, yeah, American. Yeah, every American from every background is entitled to get a government that puts their needs first. This was from Trump's rally speech. That put, every person is entitled to a government that puts their needs first. How is that even logically possible? <laughs> you know what I mean? I want mine. Everybody's needs first. are different. Yeah. Oh, and I, somebody needs to wash my windows. That is my absolute most pressing need right now. I can't even see through them. Well, so, that's the, yeah. They need to have some sort of legislation that gets those windows washed first. That needs to be the priority. Yeah, that's the utopia. That's <laughs> just like on the left. That's the promised utopia of, of equality. This is the promised utopia of everybody's needs first. Do people. This is a guy from the right. Trump is supposed yeah. to be the leader of the right, telling people on the right. Use government to get what you need. And what that is, is an absolute total destruction of the principles of this country, which is don't, the government is not going to give you anything that you want or need. We are a, a, um, voluntary organization of people who have joined together to simplify exercising our right to self-defense. That's it. And this undermines that. And on that, I'm, uh, dropping the mic. <laughs> You're dropping the mic on that? Yeah. Don't drop your good mic. Can't drop the mic without unscrewing it. (laughs) Was there anything that you wanted to 
get out there. Oh, we didn't hear the Hillary thing. Can we end? Can you just play the Hillary thing and that'll be our goodbye? Well, I mean, I can, but there's, um, I mean, the Hillary thing is really, could have a long conversation about it. And it wouldn't be fun just to listen to it and let people cogitate sure, on it. Sure, sure. Here it is. All right. Goodbye. This is not okay, I thought. It was the second presidential debate and Donald Trump was looming behind me. Two days before, the world heard him brag about groping women. Now we were on a small stage, and no matter where I walked, he followed me closely, staring at me, making faces. It was incredibly uncomfortable. He was literally breathing down my neck. My skin crawled. (laughs) It was one of those moments where you wish you could hit pause and ask everyone watching, well... What would you do? Do you stay calm, keep smiling, and carry on as if he weren't repeatedly invading your space? Or do you turn, look him in the eye, and say loudly and clearly, Back up, you creep. Get away from me. I know you love to intimidate women, but you can't intimidate me, so back up. I chose option A. I kept my cool aided by a lifetime of dealing with difficult men trying to throw me off. I did, however, grip the microphone extra hard. I wonder, though, whether I should have chosen option B. It certainly would have been better TV. Maybe I have overlearned the lesson of staying calm, biting my tongue, digging my fingernails into a clenched fist, smiling all the while, determined to present a composed face to the world. She was so brave, giving her giving her speech during that debate while Trump was just right behind her about to rape her. <laughs> and the thing is, you pointed out on that day that it was a totally staged. It's totally set up. She went and she... stood in front of him. <laughs> Bill Clinton mapped this out. They did this in the 90s. They mapped out every step how to frame the cameras to where the opponent could not get out of the camera frame. The Clintons have done this before. That was all a setup, and now she's bringing it back around in her book. Dude, that just made my skin crawl. I'm going to go take a shower. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> See Goodbye. you later.